Hello, I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace and as a result to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something, and the sharing of our stories is all about connection not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. Don't miss this episode as Veronica Valley, author of Soberful, talks about how sobriety is a journey back to oneself and how connection is the antidote. We double down on what true and meaningful vulnerability is, and you will think very differently about vulnerability when you hear our chat about authentic vulnerability versus cringy vulnerability. Join us, we're saving you a seat. Since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, all of our podcast episodes will connect to this important topic. Hey everyone, I am here today with Veronica Valley, who is changing the narrative on sobriety. She teaches that alcohol is not the problem, it's only a symptom of a deeper underlying problem. She helps women to dig deep, embrace change, and become who they are meant to be. She says, I return people to themselves. Don't you just love that? Continuously sober. Since May 2nd, 2000, and with 20 years experience as a recovery coach and psychotherapist, she understands that there is no one path to recovery. She is the author of the book, Soberful, Uncover a Sustainable, Fulfilling Life Free of Alcohol, and co-host of the Soberful podcast. She works with people all over the world through her successful and innovative online recovery programs. She developed the Soberful program into an online subscription community, which is called Soberful Life. Now based in the U.S. after relocating from the U.K., she lives on Lake Tahoe, Nevada, with her husband and two sons. Veronica, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us. Thank you, Karen. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here at the table metaphorically. And so I'm going to dive right in. Here's my first kind of setting the table with you is addiction is burning like a wildfire out of control. There's an awful lot of emphasis on alcohol as a solution. You know, we're talking about alcohol marketing and the mommy needs wine culture. I would love to just start right there. What are you seeing and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we know now we've got data from the two years of the pandemic that um, alcohol use and abuse uh, went through the roof, that we had an increase in deaths and hospitalizations 
we, we, I mean, we've heard a lot about the opioid epidemic and how that's been raging. But what people really don't realize is that, and the opioid epidemic is terrible. It's killing lots of people. Um, you know, fentanyl is now being cut into all street drugs. So um, drugs that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, overdose on, people are overdosing on. But what people don't realize is, is alcohol has always been a far worse problem than all of that. So that gets all the headlines but alcohol still kills more people than the opioid epidemic. So, and, and you know, we're coming off this two years where we're going to have an increase in mental health problems and, and mm-hmm. there's so much dishonest marketing around alcohol as the, you know, as a solution, as something that's going to fix things that, um, you know, this is going to carry on for a while. Yeah, it, it's positioned as something to take the edge off. Um, you're having stress or anxiety, here you go. And look, you and I both agree on the fact that there are people who can drink out there in healthy, very manageable ways. It's just that all of that marketing and that pushing people into this substance that destroys a just innumerable lives is so sad. Every time I see it, that whole mommy needs wine kind of thing that we're seeing more and more. Yeah. And and I, I think what's important is we've been kind of sold this fallacy that most people drink and most people drink without a problem. There's just a small group of people who take it to the extreme, who have a real problem and they need to stop poor things. And, and it's actually the reverse is true. It, it's actually mm-hmm. uh, uh, all my clients look like you. All my clients on the outside are, you know, they have a nice house, they have a career, they go on nice holidays. And on the outside, everything looks fine because we've normalized abnormal drinking. Yes. And, and what that means is an alcohol problem shows up internally long before it shows up externally. And externally, I mean like getting a DUI, falling over, getting fired from your job. It, it's how people feel inside. So it's actually a large group in the middle. There's no, I mean, there's no such thing as healthy drinking. There's nothing healthy at, at all. I mean, I, I like to use the word appropriate. You know, my, I have family members who drink very little, you know, on occasion. And like a lot of things that we ingest, there's a cost. You know, I drink Diet Coke. There's a cost. So there's no such thing as like healthy use of alcohol. It's we have to balance the cost. Are we, in, and what has happened in our culture is the minimize, minimizing of the cost. And, and, and we really, there's such, a self, there's such a delusion about the cost of drinking. We think it's such an essential, necessary part of our culture. And, and I think you've seen me on Instagram kind of push back at some of this uh, mummy drinks wine culture, which is really dangerous. It's gaslighting women. You know, motherhood is really, really hard. And especially in the US where there's so well, there's no support. <laughs> You're really left to fend on your own. And uh, when mothers do need community and connection, it's a really important part of that journey. Uh, but packaging it up as, you know, drinking play dates and all of that kind of stuff is really a big disservice to women. It's not, you know, we see that bit, but we don't see like when they get home and they're preparing dinner and they're just being, feeling tired and sluggish and snappy at their kids and so, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of misleading marketing out of it. And I want to say I'm not against alcohol. I'm really not. I'm, I don't, you know, believe it has its place. And I certainly don't think we should get rid of it. We've tried that before. It doesn't work. It has its place. What I push back against is the lie 
that we're told about it. Mm-hmm. That That's the bit that's kind of my work. It's not against alcohol. I mean, by all means, you know, have a glass of wine or whatever you want, enjoy it, but don't disguise that it has a cost. That's the bit that I kind of push back against. Well, I think you have a very powerful voice in this space, Veronica, and a voice that's much needed. And and you're, you're preaching to the choir here because you're talking to somebody whose family tree literally sits in a vat of alcohol. So wow. if yeah. I've seen all the different manifestations of alcoholism and problem drinking, I have had a front row seat to all of it. And yet, one of the things that I think is so important for your work and for my work is alcohol is really not the problem. In fact, many people think it's the solution until, of course, it's not. But that addiction and substance use disorders or problem drinking is really the symptom of a deeper underlying problem, right? Like trauma and pain and woundedness. Those are the gateway drugs, and I love how you talk about that a great deal in your book. Yeah, it's so true. Um, uh, we talk about the root of uh, addiction is trauma. Dr. Gabor Mate talks about that a lot. And uh, I think we can see, you know, if a child has been through traumatic uh, things in their life, it's almost a, you know, we can see the progression into to substances that are going to numb pain. And, and alcohol does that. It, it's very accessible. It's really, really effective and it's really cheap. And I get a lot of my clients say to me, but Veronica, I actually had a pretty good childhood. You know, my parents were pretty great and and I don't really remember anything major. And the way that I kind of present it is when we're children, we have two core needs. The need for attachment, which we understand uh, how important that is to infants and children and young people, attachment to their caregivers. But And we also have the need of authenticity. And what can happen in families with great parents with the best intentions is sometimes we have to compromise our authenticity to uh, get our attachment needs met. So our authenticity is, you know, for me, I, in my family, I wasn't, my family don't do feelings. They, it, they're very scared of any big feelings. So they shut them down. And so I'd have big feelings about things and it was very clear to me that was disapproved of. So I had to just push that down. So that was me pushing down my authentic self. And, you know, it might be in, you know, a good example of this is if you grew up in a family where you're you're perhaps gay and that wasn't approved of and your parents were loving, and but you had to push down that part of your authentic self. But it can be in many different ways. It, it You know, it's, and, and I, I see that I do this, I've seen with my own kids how I've caught myself trying to impose my experience on. I want, like, choose this toy or do it this way or, and, and they're like, no, mommy, I want, I want this. And I'm like, oh, there's me trying to impose me, how, how I think it should be onto them. And they're fighting for their authentic experience. And I, I hopefully I catch that most of the time. So I, I think for a lot of people, we lose a part of our, our authentic self in our upbringing, and it can be in our peer groups as well. And alcohol just takes the pain away of not being completely aligned with who we really are. And I always talk about sobriety is really a journey back to oneself. Because we just lose ourselves by degrees. That's one of the costs of drinking. 
we, you know, compromise our dignity a little bit, our integrity a little bit. We miss opportunities. We compromise our relationships a little bit. And by degrees, we move away from ourselves. And that in itself is very painful. And we don't like to be in pain or discomfort for very long. Our brains will look for um, a, a solution to that. And that's why it will go to alcohol. Like a couple of drinks will fix this. I'll feel better, much better after, you know, a couple of drinks. So sobriety is about the journey back to oneself and back to one's authenticity. I love that. Like a hundred percent, I believe in that. And there's so many different ways that we are taught to disregard or disconnect from that true self, that authentic self. I was talking to someone last week and they were saying that they were really struggling with getting sober. And they were reading, um, I'm sure this is a story you hear a lot. They were reading all the quit lit and they were listening to podcasts and they were doing all the things. And we had this beautiful conversation about how she was doing all of this in isolation on her own. She was seeking information, right? Not transformation. She didn't have a connected community. Um, She thought this was a do-it-yourself type of a solution. And really, connection is the antidote. I mean, we do have to find community, right? And we have to find a way to create safe places to dig deep and heal, to look at all of that. Yeah, connection is, I mean, I know that's your thing as well. It's it's really such a key part of not just sobriety, but the human experience. We we like I said, we 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 understand about attachment for kids and infants. Like we get it. We don't always do a great job at it, but we do understand it's vital for their um how they develop. But what I think we forget is that we need it at all stages of our lives. It doesn't matter if we're we're 2, 22, 42 or 82. Connection is is like food, air and water. And 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 you know, we have research that shows how loneliness will, you know, it it, it can lead to ill health and it it shortens your life. You know, loneliness in itself is a disease. So connection um is our lifeblood. But and it's also connection with oneself first, I think. You know, it's and that's the returning to oneself. It's, I felt so, when I got sober, I felt so far away from my, who I really was. And I didn't quite understand that because I was like, I'm still me. But I just wasn't showing up in the world the way that I wanted to and the way that I was. I misrepresented myself because I wasn't connected with myself. And that was very painful. And that's the journey back to oneself. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's not like we put down the drink and then all of a sudden we're fine and everything's good and we're feeling all the good feels. I mean, this is a process. So, you know, just getting abstinent is not really the solution either. It's a, an emotional and relational and spiritual and all those things. Because I, com- I couldn't say it better myself. If we don't connect with ourself first, we're not going to be able to connect to other people in healthy ways. So that's the work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and there's only, here's the thing, there's only one pathway to connection and that's through vulnerability. And that's the bit that makes it feel really challenging because we're, I think, conditioned to be quite scared of vulnerability. And I think Brené Brown's work, has, that what she's done around this has been really essential for us. You know, we have 
we do have a culture that kind of has taught us that vulnerability is bad and weak when in fact it's the opposite. And, you know, we've ingested those beliefs and much to our detriment because to have the connection that we want with other people, which is meaningful connection. I always describe that as people who know our souls. We have to be vulnerable. There's just no other way. There's just no other way. I was doing a group yesterday with some clients and a lady, it was a small group and a lady there was sort of talking about, you know, how she felt. And, and she said, I've never, I never do this. I never, like, I never tell anyone how I really feel. And I can't believe I've done it. And I, and I pointed out to her and said, look, you've survived that you've survived it. it and she's like, Oh yeah, I have. And I said, well, you know, look at everyone, you know, the warmth that ha- people have towards you. And it was such a breakthrough for her to have that experience that it, it's it's survivable because we don't think it is. I I would have rather have gouged my eyes out with a spoon than have been vulnerable or real with anybody back in the day. But um, it it is the only way that we can have the connection that we crave. And sometimes alcohol is looked at as actually creating the connection. Like this, this allows me to feel more comfortable. Or now I can go to the party. Or now I can be the lie is I can be intimate even though I'm really not because I'm under the influence. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about, Veronica, as you were talking is I am such a big fan of vulnerability. All the things you said, and I think discernment has to ride shotgun with vulnerability because on some level, there's an awful lot of oversharing and people have to earn the right, as you said, to, to know our souls. And so how do we teach people to be vulnerable and discerning and also choose people who can hold their stories lightly, right? It's usually people who have done the work on themselves. You know, Karen, that's such a good point. I, I always teach that as well, is that we have to, and that's about trusting ourselves discernment about where we take our vulnerability and with whom. And you made a really interesting point there. It's something that I am observing with interest and it is with displays of vulnerability on social media. And and there's a word for it, disclosure porn. Ooh, have not heard that. So I was having a conversation with Anna Lempke, who wrote a fantastic book called Dopamine Nation. And she, we talked about disclosure porn. And I was like, that's what it is. That it's, and it's almost hard to put your finger on, but it is, there's, there is an act of talking about vulnerable stuff on social media that is very brave and it's really helpful to people because it, it gives other people to p- permission to feel that way. And there's also a big strand of it that is disclosure porn where it's I th- the agenda is for the approval and the attention. And, and that's the stuff that makes me feel icky. And I didn't know what it was for a long time. I was like, this, this post makes me feel icky this post makes me want to cry at how real and brave it is. And they seem the same, but one makes me feel one way and one makes me feel the other. And it's really interesting. Oh, I love that. I've got to remember that word because there's so much going on on social media. Look, my marketing team has me, is 
dragging me kicking and screaming into the social, literally. I'm like, really? Do we really have to do this? Like, uh. And there's a lot of good stuff that happens on social media. You know, I found you on social media. There's great stuff that happens on social media, but there is this cringe element. And for me, I think it's about when people are sharing for entertainment's sake or they're I see people on there sometimes even shaming their kids or making their kids the butt of jokes. And they get, you know, thousands and thousands of likes as a result of it. But there is something really uncomfortable for me to witness. And I think people also confuse a lot of what goes on at social media as therapy or spiritual formation. You know what? I get my inspirational quote, so I'm good for the day. Yeah, it, it it's it's bypassing the hard work. I feel it's it's like there's a pro. So I'm a trained psychotherapist. Everything's process. Everything is always process, and you can't get to step go from step one to step fifteen. You have to do the ones in between. There's no, you just have to. You, there's no way. But there's a sort of, there's methods to do that. So it seems like you're on step 15, but you've bypassed the meat, the, 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 the substance, the, the meaningful bit. And then it's a display. I, I, I'm, I've had this conversation with a few people and I'm really interested. Someone's going to write some good stuff about this soon. I'm waiting for that book or that article to come out that talks about this because it's kind of it's really fascinating and it's also really interesting um how the younger generation who've grown up with this um you know I saw something the other day um about kind of coming out it's like everybody's coming out now and there's something very me about that me 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 there's something about coming out as kind of I don't know so I think someone's politician's daughter came out it was just like ridiculous <laughs> like she only has sex with people she cares about or something it's like well yeah we've all been doing that for decades love <laughs> um so there's there's something when it happens that's very brave and then there's other times where it just feels very narcissistic yes and I think there there's this competitive quality to it you know as we unpack this together here Veronica there's this competitive quality to it. Like my story is bigger or if I've had more of a struggle or let me entertain you with my pain. There's something about it that doesn't feel authentic. Like me too, I'm a trained psychotherapist and honestly, I've been in therapy or spiritual direction for most of my life. It is a long ass process that can't be bypassed or there's no leapfrogging over the important steps and there's no shortcuts. It's like saying you ran a marathon but only showing up to the finish line. You really didn't run those 26.2 miles. Yes. Yeah, you just showed up and metaphor. got the t-shirt yeah. and yeah. all of that. So Yeah. And and so and and going back to kind of the subject, it's I, I think so much, you know, sobriety is a spiritual journey. It's a search for meaning and it's a search for authenticity. That we, you cannot, you cannot fake it. You cannot buy it. You cannot borrow it. You can only earn it. And I think that 
that there's alcohol is one of the primary ways, but there's lots of ways that we're presented with methods to get that, but really they have no depth and weight to it. And that's one of the things I really loved about your book. So I'm really grateful to the 12 steps. And in the rooms, that's where I found recovery and that's where I do recovery. One of the things that I really respected and honored about your book was your clarity about there's no one way to do this other than go deep, find a community, heal your stuff, all of those very important process-oriented. You have five pillars you speak about that are lovely and powerful. And I just really love that you have a list of resources that say, hey, look, here are a variety of ways people get sober. Mm. Yeah, I've met so many people in my like almost 22 years who've done lots of different methods, but we've all ended up in the same place. And really what's for me, that's key. Whatever method it has, it, it needs to have a degree of service of giving giving of oneself. And the big thing is is self reflection, is is being able to reveal oneself to oneself, and that's an ongoing process. The resentment work for me is the key. Is like is what separates the, you know, the wheat from the chaff. That's the being able to work through resentments is such a self revelatory process that is it enables such incredible freedom but it's not you know going back to something you said earlier it's not that we just stop drinking and everything's okay the, the reason it's not okay is usually because we're emotional teenagers or emotional children because if we we often we've been defaulting to alcohol to manage our emotional lives you know if you feel any way that you don't care for you have a drink and and you justify, you know, I've had a stressful day, I'm going to have a drink. And, and what happens is we rob ourselves of the opportunities to develop personal development tools that we need to navigate life successfully. So when we stop drinking, like I just, I didn't know how, I mean, I just didn't know how to deal with people. I just didn't know how to navigate people and all, you know, I didn't have boundaries. I didn't know how to deal with disappointment. I just didn't know how to deal with things. I was a child um, and I had to learn. I just had to learn. And that's what my book is about. It's really personal development tools. You know, we both know that's a lifelong process. It, it never ends. It's the, it's, and and I, I'm sure that you're the same as me, Karen. I love it. I, I'm like, I'm all for the next layer of the onion to come off, to go deeper and to, to learn more about myself and, and how I am in the world and, and learn different tools. I love that stuff. I eat it up. Oh yeah. So do I. I mean, I think life is an archeological dig, right? You think, (laughs) you think think you're going down one layer and you find all these really cool things and treasures and then you're like, well, let's go a little deeper and there's more richness and more treasure and it's hard work, Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. work. So Mm -hmm. there's so much to talk about here. And our time is coming to an end. So I want to just ask you a quick question that I ask everybody. If you could save a seat for anybody and have a really rich conversation, really deeply connected, what would that look like and who would that be with? Well, I was thinking about this when your assistant sent it to me. And I was thinking, gosh, all the famous people would be so interesting. And there there would be. Um, but actually, it would be my dad who who passed away when I was 18 and who I never really knew. I didn't had a very distant relationship with. I'd love to sit down and talk to him as the adult woman that I am. So it would be my father. 
I had a sense that you were going to say that as someone who lost their mom young, around the same age as you were when you lost your dad. There's that ache that never quite goes away, you know, when you lose a parent so early on. And, you know, that's just part of our process, obviously. So where can our listeners find you? Because I know they'll want to. Um, so you, I'm on Instagram, Veronica J Valley, um, or Soberfall. I have a Facebook group. The book Soberfall is on Amazon. If you just put my name in Veronica Valley and Soberfall into Google, it'll it should come up. Thank you, Veronica. Loved our conversation. I love your book Soberfall, and I know our listeners will look out for you. So thank you. Thank you, Karen. It's really been a pleasure. Your listening means so much, so please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode. To tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work, please also get my book, The Connected Leader. It is available on Amazon and all online book retailers. And visit our page, connectedleaderbook.com. Stay connected.